Well, good morning. I really appreciate that last song because it kind of walks us right into what we're talking about today again. So very good. He probably knew a little bit about that, about that but again, as we rest in the Holy Spirit and trust Him, He seems to do a great job. So that's really cool. So we're talking about Hebrews and we're talking about the whole issue that Jesus is saying He is greater. And that's what the author is talking about, that Jesus is greater. And again, the tension that's going on is that someone has been teaching, someone has been saying something to the Hebrew believers, and as this this group or these people have been talking to the Hebrew believers, some of these Hebrew believers have decided to take some steps back from Jesus. And they're taking these steps back from Jesus because as these individuals are speaking into their lives, they're saying, listen, you're walking away from your history. You're walking away from your tradition. You're walking away from your foundations. You're walking away from those things that have defined who you are and who you have been. And you should, you should walk away from Jesus and you should walk back to and lean back into your Judaism instead of leaning into Jesus. So I really like that song we just sang because it talks about how great and how awesome Jesus is and he is the one we should be leaning on. And the author of the Hebrews comes back and says, listen guys, you're being deceived because Jesus is greater. Jesus is the great one. Jesus is greater than all the stuff that's being talked about. So as you're being told to to go back and lean on your Jewish tradition, as you're told to go back and lean lean on Moses, to lean on the law, to, to lean on tradition, to lean on Aaron, to lean on the sacrificial system, you need to understand that as you are backing into all of that, you're backing into something that is inferior. You're backing into something that is not going to stand the test of time. Because as the author starts to write, he starts to say, listen, Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than angels. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than the law. Jesus is greater than than, uh, than, than, than the priests. Jesus is a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And as we're talking about things today, he's going to really lean in. He's kind of coming to the pinnacle of his argument. He's saying, Jesus is the better sacrifice. Jesus is better across the board. And the one you need to lean into, the one you need to hold on to, the one that you need to embrace is Jesus. Now here's the reality. All of us in our lives have had things that have defined us. We talked about that a little bit last week. There are many, 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 many things that have defined us over the years. We need to recognize that the thing we should lean in to have define us should be Jesus. I grew up in southern New York, grew up in dairy country. I kind of allowed living in dairy country, southern New York, as something that defined me. Well, how can that still define me when I'm living near the Jersey Shore in in central Jersey, south central Jersey? Doesn't define me a whole lot because it doesn't really fit. I haven't seen a dairy farm around here for a long time. I've seen blueberry farms, apple farms, but I haven't seen a whole lot of dairy farms. I sniff and I don't smell it. First time I took Joan home, she wanted the windows up. She didn't want to smell it. I said, roll them down, it smells like home. It doesn't smell like home down here anymore because that's not what, what we have. It doesn't, I'm not defined by that anymore. And so we have things that define us. We have things that characterize us. And we have a tendency at times to want to back into those things and say, this is what defines me. But I would encourage us also as we wrestle our journey to step into and lean into Jesus and to allow Jesus to be the one that defines you. So let's have a word of prayer and then we'll have some fun as we look at Hebrews. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you again for your goodness to us, for your richness to us, your kindness. And Father... It's a real privilege, Father, for us to be together, to worship your name, to celebrate you, to spend time in your word, to lift up our voices together, to sing your praises, and to be encouraged with others as we sing along together. Father, I just ask now as we spend time in your word that you'd be honored, that you'd work in us and through us for your glory and for your honor. Lord, I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's go to Hebrews 10. And we're going to start at the the beginning of Hebrews 10. And I'm going to read down through verse 10, and we're going to kind of look at that first little bit, and then we're going to go on to the next parts. It says, so so since the law has, has only a shadow of the good things to come, 
Okay? And, and not the reality itself of those things. I can never, it can never perfect the worshipers by the same sacrifices they continually offer year after year. Otherwise, wouldn't they have stopped being offered since the worshipers purified once and for all would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in the sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year after year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, as he was coming into the world, he said, and we're quoting, and he quotes David from Psalm 60, says, you did not desire sacrifices and offering, but you prepared a body for me. You did not delight in whole burnt offerings and in sin offerings. Then I said, see, it is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, God. So we're talking about Jesus coming and, and coming to be that final sacrifice because God isn't totally thrilled about all the time with the sacrifices. So after, after he says above, you do not desire or delight in sacrifices and offerings, whole burnt offerings and sin offerings, which are offered according to the law, he then says, see, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first to establish the second. By this will, we have all been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So let's just kind of walk through this real quick a little bit and kind of see some of the things that are going here. Someone is trying to get someone's attention. Maybe it's God trying to get our attention. All right. So since the law has, has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the reality itself of those things, it can never perfect the worshipers by the same sacrifices they continually offer year after year. Now, you're going shopping. <clears throat> so we, we talk about steak. I like to talk about steak once in a while, so let's talk about steak for a second. You have a hankering for some filet mignon. You want to take that home, you want to set it on the grill, you want to flip it at just the right time and then take it off just the right time because you know that as you get ready to eat it, you're going to cut it, it's going to just fall apart and you're going to eat it and your mouth is going to scream, yes! (laughs) Okay? Now maybe you're thinking, I don't want a piece of steak, I want some vegetables, I want some fruit. I cut up some watermelon the other day, my my mouth was going, yes, as I'm eating the watermelon, so I I can appreciate all that. But you know, you sit down and you're at the store. And you say, I just, this is, I'm looking for the, that filet mignon. But flank steak is on sale. Now the filet mignon's not on sale, but the flank steak is on sale. So do you, so do you want to get the flank steak? Or do you really want the filet mignon? You really want the filet mignon. You really want the better stuff. So, what's going on here is this whole conversation. said, listen, the law, it was a shadow. It was secondary. It's not the final thing. It's not the real deal. It's a hint. It's an indication. So, do you want the real stuff? Or do you want tofu? You want the real thing? Thanksgiving dinner. Do you want turkey? Or do you want tofu turkey? <laughs> now someone's going to go, oh, I want tofu turkey. We, we love you. We'll celebrate you. But I want the real turkey. Okay? We want the real thing. We want the real deal. And that's what's going on here. Do you want the shadow? Do you want the hint? But that does not satisfy and something you have to do again and again and again that doesn't work. And again, look at that, come to that last part. It says, by the same sacrifice they continually offer, you can never perfect the worshipers. Never. You get that? You can never perfect the worshipers. By the same sacrifices they continually offer year after year. Now, let me tell you something. I'm going to tell you a definition I learned years ago. It's a definition of insanity. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over, but then expecting different results. 
And so you keep on coming back and you say, I want to know forgiveness. I want to know forgiveness. I want to know forgiveness. I want to be forgiven. I want to be forgiven. I want to be forgiven. I offered a sacrifice and I got a covering, but I don't cover my sins fully. Because it's just a hint. It's just a shadow. It's not the done deal. And so you keep on coming back and doing the same thing over and over and over, but it doesn't work. It's not perfect. It's not complete. It doesn't do the job. It will never perfect the worshipers by the same sacrifices they continually offer year after year. Otherwise, wouldn't they have stopped being offered? Since the worshipers, purified once and for all, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. In other words, they wouldn't need that because they would know they were forgiven. Wouldn't they, wouldn't they stop if there was something that was done once and for all? But in the sacrifice... In the sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year after year, for it is impossible. No. Let's just work with word definition for a second. Impossible. So is there an inkling of opportunity there? A hint of possibility. A slight indication of opportunity. No. It's just not going to work. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. He's coming to the culmination of his argument. He said, guys, you need to understand, you have backed into something that cannot and that will not take away your sin. Not going to work. It is impossible. Not going to work. Therefore, as he was coming into the world, he says, and this is Quoting David, and but also as they're, they're saying this, this indication pointing to Jesus, says, You did not desire sacrifices and offering, but you prepared a body for me. Now pause for a second. Just, just listen for this for a second. When, Jesus, when God created the Garden of Eden, what did he put in the middle of the garden? Tell me. A tree. Right? A tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But he put a tree. Did he put an altar? Did he put a temple? Did he put in a sacrificial system? No, he didn't. When God fashioned creation and he placed Adam and Eve in the garden, he didn't put them in the garden and initiate and introduce to them a sacrifice system. He didn't do that. Because God is not... That's not what he's looking for. That's not what he wants. Now, sacrifice was introduced after Adam and Eve sinned and after Adam disobeyed God and disregarded God. So as sin entered the world, a sacrificial system came in to provide a temporary covering for sin until the final sacrifice that would take all sin away was made. But God's intention and his desire, God was not creating going, boy, I can't wait to this, you know, when I can't wait until the sacrificial system kicks in. This is going to be so cool. This is going to be so exciting. And, and I, I'm so excited about this. I can't wait. That's, that was never, ever part of God's thought process as he created. Never. Because the sacrificial system was not something God was looking towards and something God planned and desired to have in place. It's not what he wanted. You did not desire sacrifice and offering. It's not what he was looking for, but you prepared a body for me, Jesus. You did not delight in whole burnt offerings and sin offerings. Then I said, see, it is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, God. And again, you listen to Jesus' ministry. You listen to the things Jesus has said. 
And constantly all through the life and ministry of Jesus, you see Jesus saying, I have come to do the Father's will. I have come to do the Father's will. I have come to do the Father's will. And even in the Garden of the Gethsemane, as he's crying out and said, Father, if this, if this could pass, if this could not have to be, I would be okay with that. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He has come to do the Father's will. After he says above, you do not desire or delight in sacrifices and offerings, whole burnt offerings and sin offerings, which are offered according to the law. He then says, see, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first to establish the second. By talking about covenant, we're going to look at that and says, By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. He has come to do the Father's will and he's replacing the first covenant, that old covenant, with a new covenant. And again, the writer is talking to the Hebrews. He's talking to those who have kind of backed into their heritage, their traditions, those things that they are familiar with. You see, guys, you need to understand. You're stepping back to, you're leaning back into an old way of thinking, an antiquated way of thinking. You need to step into something new. So I had someone come by my house this week and I need to get some work done in my house and particularly on my foundation. We knew about this when we were buying the house so it's not new. It's not like, oh, what a surprise. So we knew about that. And the people who were, who were selling the house had had an engineer come in and look at this stuff and they said, well, this is, this is what the engineer says you should do. You should do these things and that'll take care of the problem. And so as I'm walking through and, and walking through this process with a person who's here looking at, at my house, he, I, I show him the paperwork. He says, listen, I, I see that and I understand that, but you need to understand something. You can do that. But that's like the old way of doing things that doesn't, that's not even close to the better way of doing things today. So do you want to do things the old way that was adequate? Or do you want to do something in a new way that's much better? And by the way, the new way is also cheaper. So I'm going to go the new way. <laughs> okay? But that's the wrestling point. And we go through that sometimes, don't we? Do we want to do, try the old and tested or the, with the new and improved? And part of what he's going on is says, listen guys, you think the old way works because you have lived with it for all of this time. And all of our history as a, as a people, since Moses led us out of, the, out of Egypt, we have lived with this tradition, we have lived with this process, and you think that that's the better way. But guys, you're wrong. It's not the better way. There is a new way. This is the old system. Jesus is introducing something that's new. You need to be embracing Jesus because as you embrace Jesus, that's ultimately really where you find forgiveness of sin because this old way it doesn't work because it never ever takes away your sin it doesn't work it is impossible it doesn't work he continues look at verse 11 Every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the the same sacrifices time after time, which can never take away sins. He's kind of beating the drum, right? Making sure you're understanding. Those old systems, those old sacrifices, they will never take away your sins. But this man, talking about Jesus, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. He is now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. Okay, so one way is impossible, and now this way he has perfected forever those who are possible. It's very possible. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this, for after he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after those 
those days, the Lord says, I will put my law on their hearts and write them on their minds, and I will never again remember their sins and their lawless acts. Now where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. So let's walk back through this a little bit. So every priest stands there day after day, ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time, which can never take away their sins. Now, by the way, as you read this, you know and understand that as the writing, as the writer of the book of Hebrews is writing, he's writing before 70 AD. This is important because it's an important component to the argument and the conversation that's taking place. In, some, in 70 AD, something really important happens. In 70 AD, Rome marches into Jerusalem and they tear the place apart. The temple is destroyed. The city is leveled. People are dispersed. And the sacrificial system that the people have understood since the beginning in the ministry of Moses is destroyed. And since that point in time, for the last 2,000 years or 1,950 years, the Jewish tradition has not been practiced in a biblical format or in a biblical pattern because not a single Jewish individual has had a temple to go to. So the whole sacrificial system that took place during all of the, all of the nation of Israel's history from Moses from Moses forward has, has, is, has stopped. 70 AD, it stopped. So again, I've said this before, but again, today, not a single Jewish individual is practicing their Jewish tradition and their faith according today to biblical patterns in, in Scripture. Not a single one. Because there is no temple, there is no sacrificial system, it's been destroyed. And so as he's talking to these individuals right here, it's before 70 AD because the temple is still functioning. They are still functioning with the mindset that you go to the temple, you offer a sacrifice, you deal with the sacrifice, and then you're good for another year. They're still dealing with that mindset. They're still dealing with that attitude. He says it doesn't work can never take away their sins. But this man talking about Jesus after offering one sacrifice for sins forever. Now again, so we're backing up on our conversation a little bit. So he says, first of all, that Jesus is a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. He's not a priest of the order of Aaron. The order of Aaron offers sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. Jesus is not a priest of the order of Aaron. He's a priest of the order of Melchizedek. Second of all, we're talking about Jesus being the one who offers that sacrifice. He is that sacrifice. He offers one sacrifice. One. Now it's a brutal day at the office, but one day at the office. One sacrifice. And now he is waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are sanctified, those who are in him, those who have been washed, those who have been cleaned, those who are leaning into Jesus. They are forever taken care of. So guys, you can lean back into a system, you can lean back into a worldview, you can lean back into a framework of thought in which it's impossible for your sin to be addressed. It's impossible in those old ways and in those old patterns for your sin to be taken away. It is impossible. Or you can lean into Jesus who through one sacrifice perfects us forever without ever having the need of another sacrifice. No other offerings for sin. No other need for that intervention in that way. 
one. Guys, stop going back and start leaning in to Jesus. Now he says something here and he goes back and he quotes from Jeremiah 31 again. And again, we talked about this. Now here's what's interesting, and I I don't think I said this well last time, so I'll say it this time. He says, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days. The Lord says, I will put my laws on their hearts and I will write them on their minds and I will never again remember their sins and their lawless acts. Now, why was the nation of Israel being taken off into captivity? That's all taking place because they disregarded the covenant. Because it was written on tablets of stone, it was written and held in the temple, and they were supposed to go and learn and understand, they were supposed to honor and follow, but they didn't, because they didn't have this internal desire, they didn't have this internal passion. God wasn't working on the internals of them to listen to him and to follow him and to honor them. They were all external. And so part of what Jeremiah is saying to the nation of Israel, listen, this won't need to happen again because as God creates a new covenant, he's going to do something that's internal. It's not going to be a tablet, something written on tablets of stone. It's not going to be something that you're going to have to roll, unroll and read to really understand the working of God in your heart and spirit. You, the whole, God is going to work on the insides of your heart. He's going to work on the insides of your life. He's going to write his covenant on your heart. He's going to draw it to himself. And, and as you wrestle through that, then he's going to wrestle with you on the internal components of walking with him and knowing him so that you can live in victory instead of living in defeat so that you can know God's presence instead of being carted off into captivity God is going to do something totally and radically different but it's going to be an internal working of God in your heart, in your life transforming you from the inside out Amen, Amen. it's wonderful but he also, so he's, he's making this promise and he's drawing a Jeremiah in the midst of Nebuchadnezzar standing at the gates ready to destroy the city and carry the rest of Israel into captivity for another 60 years. He's drawing a distinction in the comparison between what was and what God is going to do in the future. And now we're at the future. And again, he's saying, guys, lean into Jesus. Don't back up. Don't do that. Lean into Jesus. Allow him to work in you. Allow him to write on your heart this new covenant. Lean on the one who can take away your sins once and for all instead of the need for sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. Because it doesn't work. But he also did something here, and the writer of Hebrews says something here that kind of goes, and that hits an argument that is taking place in the Christian realms in our culture today. In the Old Testament, we saw the image of God, we saw the image of Yahweh. But as the New Testament came in and as we started to see the the further unveiling of the plan of God, we started to see that God was triune, not singular, and yet he's one. Okay, so God is three in one, and scriptures describe him as one, and yet as you start to walk through the New Testament, you see hints in the Old Testament, but as you get to the New Testament, it's very clear that God really functions as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three uniquely distinct individuals, and yet all at the same time, one God. Now, have I confused you yet? If I haven't confused you yet, then I haven't done my job. Because I don't fully understand it either. And, and you can talk to theologians from now all the way back to, to, to Paul and others who have walked through this. And we don't, we don't all, my brain just doesn't work that way. Maybe your brain can fully comprehend it and get it and you, you understand it. Then you can maybe help my faulty one to work and understand maybe better. But we, we struggle to fully understand this triune component. But one of the things that has taken place over time is that people have said, well, okay, there's God, so there's really God, and then there's secondary Jesus. So Jesus really isn't God, but he's kind of expression of God. And finally we wrestled through that and said, no, Jesus is God. 
in our culture today, one of the arguments is going, okay, well, we have God and we have Jesus and we have the Father, but the Holy Spirit really isn't God. And yet, when you read through the New Testament and it talks about it, like when Jesus says when you baptize, the Great Commission, okay, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Even as Jesus is talking about that, he's identifying the, each, each of the members of the Trinity in equal basis. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're equal. Now, I don't think this was the intention of what he was teaching, but something has popped off the page that we need to talk about because I want you to understand that he says something profound. So when we look at this whole conversation, if you look at verse 15, he says, The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. For after he says... And he quotes, and, he, and, the, and the writer of Hebrews quotes Hebrews 31, verses, I think, 34 and 35. And he is identifying that these are the things, 33 and 34, thank you. He's quoting these things that are said. But he's identifying that this is the Holy Spirit speaking. Now, I pull, we pulled up on the screen from Jeremiah 31 to 34. Now, here's what's really important. So you, you can look at the text, the, the, the text in Hebrews, and you're going to say, boy, this is pretty much identical because he's quoting it. He says, instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. The capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, the Lord's declaration. Now, that's a big deal. Okay? That's a big deal. Because if you look in the notes of your Bible, if you have one at home, one of the things you're going to see is that there's a number of words at different times that the Old Testament uses to refer to God. And so sometimes you have a capital L-O-R-D and sometimes you have God. But every time you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D... That is Yahweh. Now, if you were to talk to an individual, and they would say to you, what is the name of God? They're not going to want to really use this name. And in fact, they've abbreviated this name because they felt it was too holy to name. So they used Yahweh. They took out the the verbs. So you just have the consonants. Y-H-W-H. Okay? It's Yahweh, which means God. Like, like if there's God, any conference about God, that, he's, he's God. That's, that's God. Okay? Well, how about you? Do you know Y-H-W-H? That's, that's God. If you want to have a definition of God in a Jewish mindset, in the Jewish Old Testament, it's L-O-R-D, all caps. No question as to who's being talked about. Yahweh, God. And yet, what the writer of Hebrews says, and as the Holy Spirit was saying, and then he quotes Jeremiah, you realize the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, who's talking in Jeremiah 31, verses 33 and 34, is the Holy Spirit. The one that everyone who would look at the Old Testament would know, that's God. So I'd say this just as a side. So sometimes in our culture today, we have people who are trying to say, the Holy Spirit isn't really God. He's like secondary. He's, he's, he's like the emotions of God, or the power of God, or the feeling of God. No. Even as we're listening to the writings of, the, of Hebrews, He is God. Now, do I understand the Godhead? Does it kind of blow my brain? Yes, it does. Because I don't know how to make three one. I, this, is one this is part of the journey of faith. We're going to l- look at the whole Hall of Fame of Faith, Hebrews 11, in a couple of weeks. But this is where faith kicks in, and there's stuff we just don't understand. Who here fully understands how their car works? So you all walked, right? Because you by no means are going to trust anything or lean on anything you don't understand. We do it all the time. 
We hop on planes, we hop on boats, we hop in our car. There's stuff that we don't fully understand and yet we still rest in it. We, try, we trust it because we have faith in it because it's shown itself to be work, work and true. And I don't fully understand all the components of the Godhead but one of the things I want to stop and pause and look at and say is come back and say even as we look at this whole conversation we see the writer of Hebrews identifying that the Holy Spirit is God. Not a force, not a presence, but God. And it hits to one of the arguments that's taking place in the broad and cr- broader Christian culture today that we should listen to and understand. Keep it on going. He goes, now, verse 18, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. See, Jesus came and paid the final sacrifice. He paid the final price for the issues of sin. There's no more sacrifices being made. Because there's no longer a need for a sacrifice to be made. All we need to do is tap into and draw in and be placed under the sacrifice that has been made. All that needs to be done is for one to put their faith and their trust in Jesus and they are included and covered by that sacrifice. There's no longer a need for another sacrifice to be made. Because the one sacrifice that covers all sin for all people, for all who want to put their faith and trust in Jesus, it's there. So, if I were to... I don't. I only have ten bucks. But if I were to take ten bucks and say, who wants it, and make it available to somebody, okay, it's right here. It's available if someone wants to come and take it, but if no one comes and takes it, what happens to it? What happens to it? It sits there. It's available... It's accessible, but it's untaken. No one's tapped into it. Now Connor's like, I really want to come and get that $10 bill. (laughs) Now, see if you had come and gotten it, Connor, I would have let you have it. (laughs) And he's now going, don't got it! (laughs) Now, but that's, that's exactly what Jesus has done. He's paid the sacrifice. He's left the offer available. And he said, guys, I'm offering forgiveness of sin. It's right here. Take it. It's at your... You have access to it. Just take it. It's there for the taking if you want it. There's no other sacrifice that needs to be made. Everything is done right here. You don't need to do anything else. Just accept what has been provided for you. And you're included. One sacrifice. No longer another need for any more sacrifices. Because the issue of sin has been addressed if you want to take advantage of what has been provided. He then goes on to this last section. And it's where we're going to finish this week and it's where we're going to start next week. Therefore, Brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. Pause here. He's saying, guys, we can enter into a new promise. The old promise, back in the old tradition, there was a curtain between everyone in the Holy of Holies, and you couldn't go past that curtain. You were not allowed past that curtain. And a priest only went behind that curtain into the Holy of Holies and made a sacrifice once a year. But what he's saying is now there is a, we, we, have, we now have access into the Holy of Holies. We can go in there and we can get in there. We have access to the Holy of Holies through 
Jesus. It's no longer a blocked and barred place. We have access there to that holy of holy places where forgiveness and a final sacrifice has been provided. It's there. And he's saying, guys, so let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering since he who promised is faithful. Guys, grab a hold of Jesus. Put your trust in Jesus and trust in the one who is faithful. Because Jesus is the better sacrifice. Jesus is better than anything you've been leaning on. He's better than anything you've been trusting. He's better than any tradition you come from. Jesus is the best. There's nothing better, nothing greater, nothing more dependable because it's a promise that works. And then he says something that I think is really relevant for our culture today. It's always been relevant. But I think it's like crazy relevant in our culture today. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works. Let's pause for a second. Let us consider one another in order to provoke. Now, we don't normally use the word provoke in a good way, do we? As a kid, we're talking about siblings and all the joy of that. We would provoke one another. We would poke each other, annoy each other. You know, sometimes, like, our, our siblings wouldn't like a noise. So, until they go, boom! When you cut that out! What are we doing? We're provoking. We are doing things to generate a response. And so normally as we provoke, we do it to, we, we, we use it as personal entertainment. Okay? We, we, we cajole, we poke, we annoy, we do these things until the desired explosion takes place. Then we kind of sit back and we enjoy because the, the fruit of our labor has been produced and oh yes, this is good. Now let's do this again. And so maybe, maybe sometimes we focus on a different sibling or a different person and we seek to provoke a new response and a different response. And we use the word provoke often in that negative way to generate a reaction that's typically not a good reaction. But instead he's using this word provoke and he's using it in a good way. And he's saying let's provoke love and good works. Now that we're in Jesus, now that God has been at work in us, since all these wonderful things that he's done, let's consider how we can provoke love and good works. So instead of coming alongside each other and poking and jabbing and making annoying noises create explosions we come alongside each other and we say how can I help you learn to love people around you how can I help you and encourage you to be good to those around you how can I encourage you to live out those values that God is seeking to speak and write into our hearts and into our minds as he establishes this new covenant with us because again it's written on the inside of us And this written covenant on the inside of us wants to help us be transformed followers of Jesus. And so we should be coming alongside, helping one another to start to live out this new work that God is seeking to do in us through the finished work of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. That once and done stuff that God has done that we now come and take advantage of because we have picked up that finished work. We have taken advantage of that finished work. God is writing this new covenant in our hearts and lives and he wants to do something something new in us and so now we get to come alongside and help each other support each other and encourage one another to do that but he uses that word provoke because provoke is very intentional we don't provoke by accident we don't set the ground accidentally 
for people to go boom. No, we lay that ground very carefully. We arrange the territory very carefully so that we get the desired response. We poke in just the right places. We make just the right kinds of sounds in just the right degree of frequency and volume. We don't do these things accidentally. They're very, very intentional. But instead of using it for negative, to cause explosions, to cause irritation, and for personal enjoyment as we see someone melt down, we use it to build people up. We use it to encourage people to embrace the very values and characteristics that Jesus wants to see expressed in their lives. It's that intentionality. And then he goes to this next part. And this is that part where that rub really hits in our culture today. Not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. All through history, people have said, I don't want to go to church. I want to go golfing. I want to go fishing. I want to fill in the blank. I'm just tired. I, I have to get up too early. I have to do some stuff. Even though we get up at 8 o'clock to go to work or I have to be at work at 8 o'clock, I, I just don't want to do that today. And we find reasons to create distance and space and to back up and not be a part of church and not be a part of the gathering of the body. But as he's talking about this, he's saying, listen, guys, you don't, you're, you're missing the, the value of gathering together because, because as we do this, not neglecting gathering together as some are in the ha- habit of doing, but what? Encouraging each other and all the more as we see the day approaching. Because you see, it's as we gather that we get to provoke. It's as we gather we get to speak into each other's lives. It's as we gather that we get to cajole and to encourage and to support. And it's a two-way street. You know, sometimes there's stuff that we just need in our lives to have poked and prodded by someone. And this is something I have learned well in, in like 38 years of pastoral ministry. Some of that poking, some of that conjoling, and some of that prodding happens when the speaker is speaking. Some of that happens through what I will say or through what another person will say. Some of that poking and prodding happens that way. But by all means, not all of that poking and prodding happens that way. Because so often, it's conversations as you're having a conversation with somebody, or it's as you're walking in and interacting, and it's as you're just chit-chatting and talking. It's amazing to me how often the Holy Spirit is working through all of those conversations and all of those interactions. And as we function together, we are then together as a group poking and cajoling each other in the direction that God wants us to go. And while some of it happens up here, much of it happens there. And we get the benefit of two things when we're here. We get the benefit of being on the receiving end of that. But we also then have the benefit of being on the delivering end of that. And so as he's talking about this, he's identifying the value of being together. And so I'd like you guys to listen, but I'd like to kind of particularly talk to those that are online. I would encourage you, we love that you're watching us and interacting with us online. We'd encourage you to be active here as well because there's an amazing benefit that you will receive as you engage here. You're missing out on some of the wonderful things that God wants to take place in your life and the benefit that you get to bring into other people's lives. Not being here. So I encourage you to be here. 
And I would encourage you guys to make that a regular routine of your life. Because there is a benefit both to you and to the body as we hang out here on a regular basis encouraging and cajoling one another towards those godly things that God wants in our life. And so he's talking to those who's backed up. He's saying, guys, you've backed up. And you've backed into things that you think are valuable, that you think are important, that you think are special and precious. And guys, he says, I want to encourage you. Don't back up. Rather, step up and lean in to Jesus. Because Jesus is greater than everything. Jesus is greater than Moses. He's greater than law. Than law. He is a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And he is by far the better sacrifice offered once and for all never to be offered again but sufficient for all who reach into and take advantage of the finished work of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. It's there ready to be taken when anyone wants to get it. And the gospel is just like that. They're there ready to be reached into, ready to be grabbed a hold of whenever someone is ready to embrace it because it's better it's greater than anything let's pray together Father I want to say thank you so very much for your richness and your goodness to us Father for the profound and amazing ways that you watch over us and you embrace us Father I say thank you in Jesus' precious name Amen Verse 4 is so beautiful. For the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sins. It is such a striking reminder that no animal sacrifice, nor any good thing we ever do can take away our guilt and sin. It is only Jesus Christ taking the punishment for your sin on the cross, dying and rising again. It is belief in that that saves you. And if you are here and you have never believed in Jesus before, you can be saved. Your sins can be taken away. Your guilt, gone. Trust in Jesus, your only hope. No good work can do that for you. If you want to talk to someone about that on the Connect card, you can write, I want to talk to someone about this, or come see me or Pastor Andrew after the service. If you have believed in Jesus, your sins have been taken away. But you probably know how hard it is to keep hold of the faith and keep going when life gets hard. If you're here and you've believed in Jesus, consider seriously how you can purposefully provoke the people here in this room in your life to love God and love people. It doesn't happen on accident. And it starts by getting connected in a local church. If you're here and you've believed, how can you stir us up here to love God and love people? What we're going to do now is we're going to have an offering so that we can continue to stir one another up here and then 